Well, everyone, welcome to our online Church at Home Sunday service. So glad you guys could join us here on May 31st, or maybe it's beyond May 31st and you're watching this somewhere else some other time. But today, May 31st, the day this is going live, is Pentecost Sunday. It's 50 days, seven Sabbaths in one day after Passover, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's 50 days after, and according to the Jewish calendar, it would be the festival of Pentecost, penta meaning five, 50 days. And it would be the time where the Jews would regather there at the late spring, early summer into Jerusalem. And they would regather after the initial sowing of the seeds and the harvest that had come up and they would grab those first fruits and they would go to Jerusalem with their first fruits and they would worship the Lord. This began hundreds of years earlier as the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. And as God led them out of the wilderness, in 50 days later, 50 days into their journey, they worshiped in this way. All this is recorded in Numbers and Leviticus and the Old Testament. And so here we celebrate 50 days after Passover, the first fruits. And today we're going to be worshiping the Lord, the first fruits of our lips, of our lives, honoring Him, seeking Him out. We're going to get into the story in just a couple songs. And in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we can turn there after worship. It says that they were gathered together in a house. They were under house arrest. Shelter in place had been issued by Jesus. He said, go into Jerusalem and wait. Tarry until you receive power. And then you shall be my witnesses. And he gave them instructions. And the first part of the instructions were to wait. Not a passive waiting, but an active waiting. Pressing in. Considering, meditating, musing, presenting yourself. Now, Jesus didn't tell them it was 10 days. He didn't tell them. He just said, wait. If he would have told them it was 10 days, it may have been easier to wait for 10 days. But when you don't know how long you have to wait, every day seems like 10 days. I told you it's May 31st today. It feels like May 51st, man. It's just taking forever. But here's my point. In that waiting, that uncertainty, that unknown, the Lord's doing something. It's uncomfortable. He's breaking you down. Breaking down those strongholds that aren't so strong. Those things that you think are very important and they're really not. And the Lord is breaking those things down as you wait on Him. And the reason He breaks you down is because He doesn't want you to live less than you were intended to live. He wants to break you down in order to build you up, in order to give you the things that he has promised you. And so as we worship here on this day together and study his word and, and even list, look at and consider the situation we're in, <laughs> what's he doing in your heart? Are you tested? Are you conflicted? Are you, are you confused? Are you scared? Are you mad? Are you frustrated? I'm going to read quickly out of Psalm 27. And then we're going to worship. 
He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle He shall hide me, He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies around me. Therefore, listen, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. David said it so simply and so profoundly. When surrounded by enemies and trouble, he realized, listen, in that time he realized the one thing that mattered The one thing, the one thing that nothing can take from you is to dwell in the house of the Lord, in his presence. The most important thing about you is your relationship with God. It's the most important thing. I'm proud to be an American. I'm glad. But that's not what my identity is. It's not that I'm an American. It's that I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, no matter what. Christians, I believe that the Lord is doing things in your heart and in my heart. Hidden things, things that can't be accomplished outside of a deep soul searching and a deep reckoning. And even as I say those words, I get kind of anxious and scared. Like, oh, what do I do? You just surrender. And that's what worship is. Surrender. The Bible says in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to lift holy hands to the Lord. To worship Him in that way. To sing praises to Him. To honor Him. And as we'll see in just a few minutes, as the children gathered at the very first Pentecost, 10 days in, they were at a church service. It was 9 in the morning on a Sunday. Crazy. 9 a.m. service. And the Holy Spirit showed up. And so I'm going to say a prayer. But I want to encourage you. Guess what I'm going to do? After I say my prayer, I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship my king. With my friends right here. One day I'll be able to worship my king with you. Back at the church. Very, Very soon. It's going to happen. But until then, I don't want you to miss out on worshiping him right where you're at one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I might dwell dwell means to be doing to inhabit that space with the Lord would you bow your heads and and pray with me father in Jesus name we thank you that you indeed 
know what you're doing. When it is evident and it is apparent, Lord, that our government (laughs) is doing their best, but they too don't know. They don't know exactly what to do. Lord, it is evident and it is apparent that I don't know what to do. But it's not about our government. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's it's about the Lord. And so God, would you stir the church up during this time on, on Pentecost Sunday today and beyond, Lord, would you stir up the church? Would you be thorough, Lord? I volunteer. Would you be thorough in my own heart? Lord, I don't want to skip any classes that you're offering. Lord, I don't want to miss any lessons that you're teaching. Lord, I, wanna, I don't want to be too busy and distracted by other things. And so, Jesus, in such a time as this, would you have your way in my heart? Bless this time, Lord, as we worship you. Set us free. <laughs> Search us even now. See if there be any wicked way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to have that heavenly mindset on our earthly journey. Change us even now as we seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Lord, we thank you that you have revealed that to us. The Bible says that the natural man cannot understand the things of God, but that they are revealed to him through the Spirit of God. And we thank you, Lord. I thank you. We worship you. We thank you that you have overwhelmed our natural man. Lord, I speak for myself, but I sit amongst witnesses and friends that I know you have overcome their natural man. You have overwhelmed them. And you've made them now worshipers, disciples, servants of the Most High God. You've made them men and women both who echo David's prayer. One thing will we seek after, that we might dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to behold his beauty, the beauty of the Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you for that desire to know you, 
that supernatural desire, would you, would you instill it even deeper? Would you make us men and women who steward that desire well, who don't waste the gift, but instead who invest it? Tenfold, fiftyfold, a hundredfold. We thank you, Jesus. We surrender and submit to you. Would you lead us and guide us? Even now as we open up your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the scriptures, the lineage and history of man is detailed from Genesis to Revelation. And the Hebrews especially, the children of Israel, they recorded their lineage, their history, from Adam and to Abraham and to Moses and to Joseph and eventually to David and, and all the way to listen to Jesus. And if you open up to Matthew chapter one later, you'll read the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the Bible details and the Hebrews record and history recounts the history, listen, all the way up until Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's a sign behind me. I'm not sure if you can see it. It says Jesus. We've printed a few thousand shirts that say Jesus is real. <laughs> I love it. It's interesting though, that at the end of the lineage that leads to Jesus, there's really no more record. Because you see, it all led to Jesus. And here's where I think the Lord wants us to understand right now on Pentecost, is that it led to Jesus, but Jesus lived 33 years and he died upon a Roman cross. And he did what the Father sent him to do. The Father sent him to ransom humanity, to pay for the sins of Luke Frechette and for yourself as well. And he did it and he died and he was buried and he rose from the dead victoriously. And the Bible says that while Jesus was on earth, he breathed upon his friends, the Holy Spirit. And that after he rose from the dead, that the Holy Spirit was given in a new way. And Jesus said something that was so radical then, even so radical now. He said, look, guys, I'm leaving. <laughs> I know it's all led up to me and I'm the savior of the world and I'm the son of God and I'm the, I'm the man, but I'm leaving. Because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. But if I do leave, the Holy Spirit will be poured out liberally upon all humanity. You see, Jesus was profound everywhere he went. He changed the situation and the environment everywhere he would go. But he was just one man, the Son of God, limited though in his flesh. And so Jesus took off that flesh and ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was given for this season in his stead. Next, after Jesus, most of you understand that and get that. And I pray to Jesus and I walk by the power of the Holy Spirit and I look to God the Father and the, the Trinity, the God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus told his disciples then, it's better that I leave in order that he comes, the helper, the parakletos, the one who would help you in your journey moving forward. Now, if I were Peter or James or John or one of the boys, I would have said, come out, Jesus. <laughs> You're doing pretty good. Won't you just stick and stay and make it pay and we'll follow you all the way, you know. 
I didn't mean to say that. It kind of rhymed. But that's what, I, I, that's what I would have said. And they even told Jesus, no, 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 bro. Don't leave us, man. And Jesus said, it's going to be better. It's going to be better. And I want you to understand, Bible students, maybe to refresh in your memory, and for those of you who are learning, the Holy Spirit has three significant relationships with us. Number one, when you are born, when you take your first breath, everybody, everybody, the Holy Spirit is with that person, right alongside of them. God, his spirit, wooing them to himself with sunrises and stars and with flowers and rainbows. The Holy Spirit is with everybody. It's the ministry of withness. And yet when your heart is softened and your life is changed, something radical happens and you're reborn. And the Holy Spirit goes from with you to in you. Regeneration. And your sins are paid for and your spirit is renewed and you're reborn and your connection with God is reinstilled. And the Holy Spirit goes from with you to in you. But in our story today, Acts chapter 2, you should be there already. In Acts chapter 2, we see the third relationship of the Holy Spirit, not just with everybody, and he is in those who are saved, but the Holy Spirit desires to come upon those who would surrender their lives and say, Lord, use me. Use me right now for such a time as this and in such a way that would glorify you and bring good to others. And it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon us for gifts and service and signs and wonders. But I do believe that the church possibly sensationalizes some of this relationship with the Holy Spirit upon us. And we think, man, that's for the guys on stage or that's for the guys that are always speaking in tongues. And that's for all the... Did you know that the Holy Spirit will empower you to be a good neighbor? To fulfill the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbors yourself? to be a good husband, to be a good dad, to be a good mom, to be a good wife, to be a good son, to be a good daughter. He wants to empower you right now to just be a witness, that's what Jesus said, in the world of what it looks like to be a Christian, to be a witness. How do you get up when you fall? How do you respond when you're tempted? How do you act when you're pressed? And all of these empowerments come from the Holy Spirit. And I wanted you to understand it because, man, I love Jesus and I pray to Jesus and I'm looking for his return soon. But Jesus said, I'm leaving. Take it up with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Take it up with him. He's down here. He's your helper. And I think maybe, maybe, maybe on this Pentecost, the Lord wants to refill his church. You see, if you go to Taco Bell and you order a soda and you're there dining in, you're privileged and the restrictions have been lifted and you're eating your burrito supreme, and you get to the end of your Baja Blast, did you know that you can go back to the little soda bar there and get a refill? It came with your purchase, man. Did you know the same is true with the Holy Spirit? If you got the Holy Spirit, you can get refilled. And did you know that if you have the Holy Spirit, you actually need to be refilled more than once? As you study the book of Acts, you'll see that there is refillings and refillings and refillings. And I'm going to say this, and I want you to consider it deeply. Some of you have already wrestled with this. When you got saved, born again, you got all of the Holy Spirit that there is to get. But there is a working out of your salvation where right now I believe the Holy Spirit wants to get more of you. There are things in your life and caverns and places where you haven't let the Holy Spirit extend his reach things that he wants to do in your life. And maybe now, even during quarantine, shelter in place, COVID-19, week 12, whatever the case is for you, I just want you to say, Lord, 
Are there areas of me you don't have yet? As a matter of fact, let's just be honest. You could probably identify some areas in your life right now that you're just holding back. Well, I want to go to heaven for sure. I'm not a dum-dum. But I don't know if I want to necessarily go out and witness or love unlovable people. I'm just going to hold that back to myself. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I want all of you. You have all of me, but I want all of you. And here's the easy part. You know what the Holy Spirit requires of you? Primarily, (laughs) just show up. Just show up. Acts 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. Listen. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It says that they were all in one place, in one accord, gathered together. This room I've actually been in, it's not a temple, it's not a synagogue, it's not a church, it's just a room of a house. It's a big room. You could fit, according to this story, 120 people in there. Right below this room, it's a two-story dwelling place. Below it is the tomb of King David to this day. It's where his bones are. And you can leave the upper room where this happened and go down the stairs and around the corner to the tomb of David, which would be referenced by Peter. In this room, he would stand up and talk about where Dave's bones are buried, man. Dave's bones right below us. Here's my point, though. 120 people. Maybe that was max capacity. Maybe they were on phase three. I'm not sure what was going on, but 120 people showed up. But Paul tells us that before Jesus ascended, over 500 people saw him at one time. You guys realize that more than 120 people believed in Jesus. But on the day of Pentecost, only 120 people received powerfully in this way at at this time. Here's my simple point I want you to write down. (laughs) What do you got to do? Show up. Just keep showing up. And the Holy Spirit will fill you if you're there. Did you know that if you're not there, the Holy Spirit can't fill you up? Profound. Someone write that down. If you're not there, the Holy Spirit's pouring out Baja Blast on people. You're not going to get any. Show up. Show up where, Luke? We're we're on house arrest. We can't show up nowhere right now. Listen, I'm telling you what. If you're not reading your Bible in the morning, just reading the Bible, and you're wondering why the Lord hasn't been speaking to you, why have you been listening? No, I'm waiting for him to wake me up. Get in the book. Have you been journaling? Have you been praying? Have you been memorizing scripture? Have you been seeking to let the salt out of the shaker and let your light shine and share with other people? Or is all that stuff constricted and restricted right now? And you're wondering why there's no flow. It's kind of like your wall switch at your house. When the switch is down, the lights are off. The lights don't have any control over it. But when the switch goes on, that electricity rushes to a source or an outlet. And if you let and expect and anticipate and present yourself to the Lord for him to flow, he's going to. Somebody right now, actually, you need to repent because you're bitter, you're bummed out, you're sad, you're despondent because it's not like the good old days when it was flowing, man, when it was pouring and you don't know what happened and you're wondering, where are you at, Lord? And the Lord says, I'd like to ask you the same question. Where are you? When we get back to a meeting, of course, worship services and church services, these guys showed up By the way, this was day 10. Let's be honest. 
If you don't know how long you have to wait, do you get weird? (laughs) Does your patience ebb and flow? Your love and compassion and faith, I promise you 120 homies in one room waiting on day 10 were getting kind of weird. Yet they were still there. They were still there. And the Holy Spirit had a plan. He didn't do it until the day of Pentecost had fully come. What that means, fully come, it means that the day of Pentecost, listen, was fulfilled. Did you know that they celebrated the day of Pentecost the year before and the year before and the year before and the year before and they'd sell every single year? Check this out, Bible students. Colossians chapter two, right around verse 17, says that this festival, along with every festival of the Hebrews, are only shadows of the real thing. The the celebrations that they would do every single year, and they have dozens of celebrations. They're all just shadows. They're not the real thing. And Colossians chapter two says that the shadows point to the real thing, which is Christ. Check this out. Sabbath day points to Christ. Pentecost points to Christ. The Passover lamb points to Christ. And yet on this particular Pentecost Sunday, it was fully fulfilled. That is Christ had come. The substance had been given and arrived and accepted. And as I already mentioned earlier, Pentecost in this celebration was the first fruits of the deliverance from Egypt. Right when they got delivered from Egypt, they started growing their own food. And when it came to fruition, they said, let's, let's worship the Lord for what he's given to us. This is amazing. Guys, the shadows, the pictures, the types, they're incredible. Christ delivers us from our own Egypt, from our own sin, our own bondage. How? When? Passover. As the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world was pinned to the cross. And as those who put their faith in hope in the blood of Jesus Christ are delivered from their sins. And check it out. And then it leads to the first fruits. 50 days later, I'm saved. You're saved. We're saved. What do we do now? Now, listen, I'm saved. Cool. Now what? Just stay home behind my six foot privacy fence and my 60 inch screen TV and all these things I got. Is that what the Lord wants for a saved person to just stay home? (laughs) Or does he want you and me in the church to receive the first fruits of his efforts, of his service, which is the power of the Holy Spirit? These guys just showed up and suddenly, the Bible says suddenly there came the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house. We're on the Oregon coast. I'm not sure where you're watching from, but it's windy here 700 days a year. It's crazy. When the wind is blowing, I sometimes think it's from Satan himself. It's crazy. It's just me. Pray for me. But anyways, the wind, man, you know, you can't see the wind. You just can't, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can hear the wind. You can feel the wind. Just like the Holy Spirit, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see and hear and feel a life that's been changed by him. And when the wind comes, man, the wind doesn't just show up and do nothing. You guys know wind does stuff. And when the Holy Spirit comes to your life, you're evidenced in this one-time event, this picture. And the picture is twofold, by the way. It gives the wind, we see that. And we also see the fire, the cloven tongues. Okay, fire is all-consuming. You ever been burned before or tried to, light a fire and just keep it under control, a fire will go as far as you'll let it. If you constrict it or prohibit it, it won't go beyond the borders of its restriction. But a fire is literally designed to just consume. It doesn't stop. It's never satisfied. And the wind is powerful. It wants to move. Did you know the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life? You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, born again. 
But now the Holy Spirit wants to rush into your life and he wants to rearrange things. As a matter of fact, if you ever opened up your door and a wind rushes in, man, it changes things in your house. Things are ruffled. Things that were once in place, knocked out of place. Things that were once protected and put there perfectly are now adjusted. And let me just make the simple application. The Holy Spirit, he constantly wants to be that wind that blows through your life and says, you know what? I see what you've done here. It's very nice. Do you mind if I blow it over? (laughs) Do you mind if I blow this out? Do you mind if I get rid of this debris? Do you mind if I change everything? And the Holy Spirit loves you and loves me enough to accept us as we are, but to say, you know what? I want to consume these areas of your life and I want to burn brightly through you. If you've ever been to a bonfire before, you, you know how that glow draws you in and warms your heart and blesses your presence. And the Lord says, I want to do that in your life. I want to bless you. It's interesting that this fire, this cloven tongues of fire, I'm sitting here with my friends now, it appeared on each one of their heads. And if I were to look around and say, oh, Tom, dude, you're on fire, you know, and Tom would look up and he wouldn't see nothing. He's like, really? You know, like, I don't see it. And he would look at his daughter, Tiffany, and say, she's on fire. You know, Tiffany would look at Nina, Nina's on fire. We'll all be pointing at each other. Whoa. And if we looked at our own fire, you just couldn't see it. You know why? This is a hard part, by the way, because we don't need nobody getting full of pride. Looking at your own stuff. You know what we do need, though, is to see the Lord in one another, to honor each other and say, dude, I see the gifts in your life. I see the value you bring to the table. I see how God's changed you. The wind has managed you. You're a different. Each, I know the testimonies of all the people in this room, and I know the testimonies of most of the people at our church. And yet the problem is, is we are so susceptible to pride, aren't we? And every once in a while, I'll be grabbing a mirror trying to just check out my fire. Like, oh, let me see it. You know, I'm trying to see what's going on. How many likes did my fire get on Facebook today? Man, careful, careful. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he'll lift you up in due season. He'll use you and he'll fire you up. But the Bible also says he resists the proud. He stiff arms them. And yet the Lord, he wants to use you so much. He wants to empower you. And, and he, it's demonstrated here. It's every single 120 different big lighters going off in this room, man. They probably didn't have smoke detectors back then. The place would have had a sprinkler alarm going off. It says that they were filled, verse 4. And the Holy Spirit began to speak through them in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This isn't necessarily a standalone teaching on tongues and the gift of tongues. Literally, it just means other dialects. That's what tongues mean. And when tongues are seen in the Bible and when they're used in your life or in a life of a believer, they are always simply the wonderful works of God, the singing and the praises of our Lord. They're not prophecies. They're not messages. Those are also gifts from the Lord given through his spirit to his people, prophecies and words of knowledge and utterances. But tongues is a heavenly language that you don't know, that your mind even sometimes rejects or is confused by, but your spirit says, that's right. My God can do all things. My God has done all things well. It's a heavenly language and it's an opportunity for you and for me to just praise the Lord because he's worthy of our praise. Guess what? This group of people were gathered together and they all of a sudden began to all begin to pray in tongues the wonderful works of God. 
he goes on, Luke, as he wrote this, and he tells us quickly, I'll read to you verses five through 11. It says, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude, they came together. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Isn't that cool? There were a bunch of visitors to Jerusalem that didn't know Jesus. They didn't know him. They weren't there for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They were there now at the time of Pentecost. And they're just bebopping around, cruising through Jerusalem, worshiping on Pentecost with their first fruits. And they hear people praising God in their native tongue. And they think, oh, my homies are here. And when they went to investigate, they realized these aren't my homies. These are a bunch of hillbillies, a bunch of people from Galilee. And yet, wait a minute, how they speak in my language? How are they loving me? One of the greatest gifts that God gives through his Holy Spirit to humanity is that equality and that love and respect one for another, even in our differences, in our different cultures, our different creeds, our different nationalities, our different races. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And he says, you're all my kids. You're all the same. You're all this, that the Lord would choose as the very first act of the power of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is to give different languages to people to bless other people, listen, that were different than them. <laughs> what? It wasn't a healing of a lame person or some other miracle. It was unity. I like to call this scene right here the undoing of Babel. Earlier in the scriptures, the very, very beginning in Genesis, at the Tower of Babel, there was one language on the planet. And through sin and rebellion, there was confusion and differences. And I believe all that the creeds and nations came from that event. And yet when the Holy Spirit came, he said, I'm bringing us back together. We're all one. We're one in the Lord. We're one in unity. And there's such a division within our world. There's so much hatred, so much pain. None of that's from the Lord. Okay, none of that's from the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the contrast, the contrary. The Holy Spirit brings unity and love and empathy and purpose and devotion and appreciation and commitment and forbearance and all of the things that our community needs. And let me just ask you this question, Christian, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's empowered you and you want to walk in miracles and you want to walk in tongues and you want to walk in power. Cool, cool, cool. Do you love people that are different than you? Do you just deal with them? Keep them at arm's length and whatever. The very first evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit is a connection between different people groups. The list is impressive. It says in verse 7, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Man, these are all a bunch of peasants, a bunch of hillbillies. They're all from Celets, man. This is crazy, you know. They're from Lincoln City, you know. We're even crazier. They're all from Otis, you know, whatever. That's what it means. They're Galileans. If you were a Galilean, you definitely couldn't speak diverse languages. It wasn't something you were afforded. And when they came into this room, they said, wait a minute. These are just no normal people. Raise your hand if you're a normal person. Okay, normal person. Keep your hand down if you're lying. Everyone here lied just now. We're all just, I'm a normal person. I don't know about you. Everybody's normal. And yet the Lord says, no, I want to empower normal people to do supernatural 
extraordinary things. Look at this in verse 8. It says, And how is it that now we hear each in our own language in which we are born Parthians? Listen to this list. This is all the people that were tripping out on God's praises and the unity that was about Parthians, Medes, Elamites, which is modern-day Iran, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, super cold in Phrygia. You want to bring your jacket when you go there, man. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. He's not done. We got Cretans, we got Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. I think that's legit. Maybe you're a Christian at home and you're wondering what your gift is to the body of Christ or to this wondering, wandering, sinful world. Really, it is being a witness in your life and in your action and in your attitude and in your words of the wonderful works of God. You're just displaying it. It's not that hard. He wants to change your life, pay for your sins, empower you with his spirit, and you just get to talk about his kingdom. Talk about how good he is. The best way to talk about how good he is is how good he's been to you, sharing your testimony. You are empowered when you share your testimony. Others are encouraged, like, no way. And God can change a life through the life that he's already changed, which is you. Check this out. Not everyone wants to hear this. Not everyone's into this. It says, verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Some people wanted to know, what's going on? What's going on? Other people, verse 13, said, they're full of new wine or sweet wine. Man, they put something else in their Baja Blast. That's what's going on here, you know what I'm saying? That's, other people saw the church. They saw these people, which, by the way, is incredible, incredible, incredible. Galileans, people from Otis, just start speaking in other languages the wonderful works of God. People hear and see and they say, eh, it's gotta be, gotta be drunkenness or you know, tomfoolery, some weird stuff going on, you know. And people just write it off. That's God's problem, not yours. Because it, they couldn't change what God had done in their lives. And you who are believers, who are Christians right now, part of the church, God wants to use your life just as a witness to stand and to be on display. Some will wonder, what really happened? Tell me more. Others will reject you and write you off. It's just the way it is. I've been appreciated on one side and rejected on the other my whole life. And I want to encourage you. God wants to use you. Now, in the rest of the chapter, Simon Peter stands up. This is cock-a-doodle-doo, Simon the one who had denied the Lord three times just 50 days earlier. The one who had not only denied the Lord three times, but who had deserted him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not only that, Peter, but the one who, when talking to Jesus there at the Last Supper, Jesus told him, hey, Satan's gonna sift you like wheat, bro. And now 50 days later, Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon. He references the scripture. He quotes Joel chapter 2. He begins to discern and begins to explain what's happening in that moment is what the Bible had already declared was going to happen. And he preaches and teaches. And his sermon and his point is all about Jesus. And he gets to this portion, which as I was thinking about it earlier, I was reading his sermon. This is his first sermon, Empowered. And I thought, man, that's a pretty good sermon. I should steal that one day. And I began to actually get anxious. I, I thought to myself, man, that's a really good sermon. There's no jokes or nothing. It's all just about Jesus. And then I thought about this. We, preachers, preach sermons on his sermon. 
because this sermon's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he ends his sermon this way. We're going to sing another song in just a minute. He says in verse 36, therefore, that's the conclusion. He preaches a whole sermon. And he says, therefore. And the therefore is always there for a reason. It's there for a reason. Therefore, because of this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? (laughs) Such a radical question. And when the Holy Spirit convicts you and when you find yourself being dealt with by the Lord through his spirit in yours, the simplest question you can ask, and I guarantee he's gonna answer you even today. What do you want me to do, Lord? My marriage is on the rocks. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He's gonna tell you what to do. He's gonna tell you to commit to your spouse, to repent, to apologize, to love, to serve, to give. Lord, I don't know what to do with this addiction. I don't don't know what to do with this relationship. I don't know what to do with my future. Ask the Lord, what shall I do? And he'll tell you exactly what to do. Peter ends his sermon this way. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says simply to repent. Repent doesn't mean go back in time and undo all you've done. Wouldn't that be bad news? (laughs) Go fix it. Go fix all that you've done and come back and we'll see if we can strike a deal. That would be horrible. Instead, the Lord says, no, I just want you to repent. To repent literally means to think differently. Think differently towards Jesus. Think differently towards your sin. Think differently towards people. Just think differently than you have been thinking now that the Holy Spirit has convicted you. Right then and there, think differently and be baptized. Go get dunked in the ocean. If you haven't been baptized yet, man, email us, southbeachchurch at gmail.com. We'd love to baptize you in the ocean or in the river or in a pool, wherever you gotta be, man. Baptized for the remission of sins. And maybe right now you just need to do exactly that. If you're committed to a, a spouse in marriage and things are upside down or not working right, you just need to repent. Say, you know what, Lord? I'm committed. I'm in it to win it. I'm gonna do this. Or maybe you're committed to a church and and you're waiting for that church to reopen again or you're waiting for things to get back to normal. You're just kind of, I don't know. Get your mind right. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do and you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit to do that thing. Now, the final thought I would put out there for you today is it says that you should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, repent of your thinking for the remission of your sins. That word remission can be used two ways, and I believe it's supposed to be used two ways. It literally means for the forgiveness of your sins. (laughs) They're forgiven. They're gone. They're under the blood. Colossians chapter one says that there is a handwriting of requirements written against us. All the things we've ever done wrong have been recorded. And when you get saved, they get wiped clean by the blood. It's illegible. You can't read it. It looks like he, well, can't read that either. Oh, look. No, no, it's just, I can't see nothing because you've been forgiven 
But listen, there's even better news than that. This word remission is the word we use when people are fighting an illness and they beat it. And now that cancer is in remission. It's no more. It's not just that your sins are forgiven you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling, the filling of the Holy Spirit, your sins can be in remission. Not just forgiven past, but remission future and forward. That you don't have to be the same person. You don't have to be so broken. You don't have to be so down, so bitter and so out. And how fun is it to have the things in your rear view mirror forgiven for sure. But the Lord doesn't want you just to stay as a child of God on display where you're at. He wants you to walk in power moving forward. He wants you to continue to go back to the spout where the blessings come out and get a refill of that Baha blast, man, the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that this promise, verse 39, is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This chapter concludes, and it says that 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. 3,000 people. Started with 120. All of a sudden, they went to phase 10, man. They're back there, mega church, 3,000 people. And they gave their life to Jesus Christ. And their lives were changed. A couple days later, Peter would preach another sermon and 5,000 people would get saved. And the church was born on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, celebration of the first fruits, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And I think on this day, this Sunday, wherever it is you're listening to, maybe you're listening on iTunes, working or driving to work later this week or later this year. Listen, the Holy Spirit has been given as our helper as the indwelling of our lives in order that we might live for God's glory and for others' good. And if you want to know what's missing in your life right now, it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship with the one who has committed himself to you to help you walk and to overcome and to be that person who doesn't stay where you're at but continues to take ground. We're going to sing one more song, but I'm going to ask you guys to pray right now with me and we're just going to enter into that, that attitude of prayer right now. Lord, I think of these guys who, who didn't want you to leave. They, they, they kind of enjoyed the system that they had developed. They liked it. They liked their comforts. They liked the routine of waking up with Jesus every day. Just following him was so fun. Everywhere Jesus went, it was just so fun. He was just always getting into trouble and getting him out of trouble and teaching him stuff. But then they got stretched. They got tested and Jesus said, no, I'm actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reshuffle the deck. I don't want it the way it, it has been. Guys, it's been good, but it's gonna get even better. It's going to get even better when the Holy Spirit empowers everybody. Not just you, you disciples, the 12. That's not the plan. That's not enough. It won't work that way. It's got to be everybody. It's got to be everybody fired up. Everybody fired up. And so, Jesus, you paid the ultimate price. You did the heavy lifting. You bore the sins of humanity not just ours, but the sins of the whole world. 
And then you gave the Holy Spirit on that day. And you changed their lives and you changed this world. And Lord, here we are now. Surrendering our lives, surrendering our routines and our comforts and the things that we've come to really appreciate and lean on. It's all been shook down. So Holy Spirit, would you come in with your mighty rushing wind in our lives? Would you search our hearts? Would you blow through the caverns once again? Lord, if I'm going to be completely honest, I, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. I don't, I don't know what's going on, Lord. I don't know who to trust. I don't know what to believe. I don't know, I don't know what to do. And, and in that, Lord, you have our attention. In that, Lord, you have our attention and you have our, our allegiance. And so, Lord, would you have your way filling the church once again with the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, these men and women had no control over what was going on or the timing. or They just showed up. So would you empower us to be those men and women who show up? Bible reading and scripture memorization, prayer walks, times of worship, and times of devotion with our families. But I would actually ask you to forgive, forgive us, forgive me for letting lesser things come in the way and our own plans, our own agenda. So, Lord, we simply look to you. Light us up. Anoint us. And if you're watching right now at home or you're here worshiping and you, you just need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, you want to be filled. You've been emptied out. You've, there's a leak somewhere, man. You need to be filled. Would you raise up your hand right now or even just stand at your house, just worship, and we're going to sing a song. That would be a grand time to be bold and say, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you and less of me. Make that exchange, Lord. Take that fire and burn away the dross. Let there be more, more, more Holy Spirit in my life. Let my tongue, Lord, be used for your glory. Forgive me of having a, man, poisoned mouth at times. Lord, empower your church. Lord, there's nothing we can do. We're just going to adjust our sails to your wind. I believe the church is adjusting right now, Lord. Everything's changed. Everything's changed. Help us to adjust properly. You can put your hands down. Help us to adjust properly, Lord, to what you want. Each and every one of us that our flames, Lord, might be used for your glory. So we trust you, Holy Spirit. Lead us even now as we sing this song to you and worship and give our devotion over you. We trust you, Lord. We absolutely do. You're the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the great I am, the author and finisher. Lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Psalm 27 ends with King David concluding. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Guys, the Lord knows what he's doing. He absolutely knows what he's doing. And he's going to do what he's determined to do. No matter what. And he doesn't want us to be fearful. He doesn't want us to be overwhelmed. He doesn't want us to be anxious. I would have lost heart <laughs> had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You who are believers, you who are Christians, you who are spirit-filled, God has chosen to have you be alive right now for such a time as this. It is your witness, your testimony, the indwelling of the Spirit in you that God is using. <laughs> Sometimes I look around and wonder, who's God going to use next? And the Lord says, I'm looking at you, dum-dum. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. Right now, you. Would you just... Take it for a spin this week. You can't do everything. But you can do some things. You can do something. And if all of our flames together, let the Lord use us in whichever way He wants. There will be a revival just like we saw in the book of Acts. Where, listen, it wasn't the church going out seeking sinners, which is what we're supposed to do, evangelism. But it was those outside of the church, the ones who weren't saved, the sinners, it was the ones outside of the church who were seeking the believers. They came in and said, whoa, whoa, what are you guys doing? You guys are all, you're different. What's going on? And if Somebody hasn't come to you lately and said, what's, what's wrong with you? You're different. If someone hasn't looked at your life and said, I see it lately, maybe, maybe the Lord wants to spark you up and use you for such a time as this. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. 
May he give us peace. He's going to do whatever he wants. Lord, have your way. Here we are. We surrender. God bless you guys. We love you. miss you. We're working as hard as we can to get back together in the warehouse. But until then, the flame, the light, it's shining right in your house. So may the Lord guide us and lead us. God bless you.